Hi, my name is Sam Williams, and welcome to part one of episode number 103 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. So first of all, I'd like to welcome all you to part one of episode number 103 of my 60 Music Podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and for those of you who are just now discovering this podcast, either on the Apple Podcast app, or in Stitcher, or in iHeartRadio, or in Google Play Music, or on Spotify, and you're wondering, so what the heck is this? I'm just going to give you a brief description of what the show is all about. Okay, so I'm Sam Williams, and I'm a 24-year-old songwriter slash producer, but I'm also a huge 60 music fan slash expert slash nerd. Each week of this podcast, I take one song by one artist from the 60s to put the show in two parts. First part, I show is talk about my opinion of the song, why I think it's so good, or why I think it sucks into my own personalities on the arrangement of the song, what's the link with the chords, mountain lyrics, and the second part, I show dig deep into the history behind that track. In that part of the show, we talk about who wrote the song, who produced it, who are the musicians on the track, whether it be the session musicians or the band members themselves, history behind the song, or who wrote the song, and the artists that recorded it, and the people that produced it, and what studio the song was recorded at, where that song was recorded at, and where that studio is located at, and the label the song was located at, and the name of the label the song was released on, and the year and month the song made up peak position, the song made up originally on Billboard Hot 100 chart, and year and month the song was released. All that is in the second part of the show. Moving on, let's get started in this week's song, shall we? Okay, so we're going to keep things going with honoring black artists and songwriters from the 60s. And uh, I'm very excited to be finally covering this label on my podcast. Um, Because, I mean, it would be kind of a... I'd be doing kind of a disservice by talking about black songwriters and producers and black-owned record labels if I didn't talk about this label. But... The reason why I've been kind of holding off on doing this, uh, talking about this label is because I feel like for the most part in general, people already know most of the songs that were released on this label. And, you know, people in most music historians, I mean, you know, they, they covered this stuff pretty in depth for most podcasts that talk about music history. So they've got this label pretty much already covered. But I will say that you know, there are some songs that were came out on this label that were very underrated and very underappreciated and not as well known as some of the other ones. I mean, there were some huge songs that came out of this label and songs that pretty much everybody knows. I mean, you know, but I mean, it'd be kind of, you know, just I'd be doing a disservice by, you know, ignoring this label, not talking about them. I interviewed a songwriter that worked on this label and, you know, my earliest memories of really listening to 60s music in general was listening to songs that were put out by this label, you know. So I feel like it's time for me to talk about them. And it's time for me to talk about the songwriters and producers that work for this label and the cultural and historical significance this label had, had you know, in pop music history. Um, but today I'm going to be doing a song that was released, you know, by this label that you might not know. I mean, this is one of the songs, it was a big hit, but it kind of slipped through the cracks and not very many people are familiar with this one. But it's just incredible and really, really, really good. Holy crap, this song is just amazing. I mean, 
And you'll know why in just a few minutes. I mean, I, I don't think it, this should surprise you by any means as to why I love this song so much. But I'll go get into that in just a few minutes. But really, this song is just, just it's drop-dead gorgeous. It's beautiful. Oh, man. I cannot wait to cover this song and talk about it with you guys. But anyways, um, this song came out in August and September of 1969. It's by an artist called The Originals. The name of the song is called Baby I'm For Real. Wow, this song is absolutely just drop dead gorgeous. Holy crap, this song is amazing. It is just beautiful in every sense of the word, and almost every single time I listen to it, the song gives me chills. I mean, that's how good the song is. It is just amazing. And today's episode, we're going to talk about what makes a song so good, both musically and lyrically. But as always, let's start out with the song's music. Now, of course, you should know why I like this song, right? I mean, if you've been listening to some of my older podcast episodes, you should know why I like this song. Well, just in case you don't, let me break it down for you. I mean... First of all, you should know what my favorite chords are, right, in music in general. And if you don't, well, let me just tell you that I love major seven chords and minor seven chords. I mean, those are just some of my favorite chords in music in general. And this song is just chock full of them. I mean, it's just amazing the amount of major and minor seven chords there are in the song. I mean, it's basically built off of that. I mean, but some of the other really cool chord chord changes that happen in the song that are just so amazing, specifically are that that nine sus four chord, which is again my favorite chord in pop music, is it's all over the song, and those the diminished chords that happen in the song, specifically kind of in that refrain section, you know, where it's like it goes from. F major seven to G minor seven, and then to that C sharp diminished. Holy crap! Man, that is just amazing. I mean, this song is just so beautiful. I mean, it just, the saxophone solo is just drop dead gorgeous. I mean, you know, the, the instrumentation is just stunning. I mean, the strings are really, really cool. I mean, everything about it is just, there's so much beauty in this song. And it's just an intimate and a very, um, almost there's a lot of vulnerability in this song and it's not it's a very fragile song and you can tell just by listening to its instrumentation and just how how you know it's very it's really really good and i want to say a couple things about this song that make it the reason another one of the reasons why this song is so good musically is because you know it's a ballad and you can tell it's a ballad because it's not a very it's it's the tempo is not you know 120 or you know 130 140 it's not super upbeat it's very 
very slow. It's probably around like 60, 70, 80, around that range. But again, it's a very slow song. So, and by the way, this is one of the songs that, you know, a lot of, you know, Latinos who are really into oldies, you know, this is one of the songs they like to slow dance to, or at least they used to let slow dance to the song before the pandemic started. But that's besides the point. I mean, this is the perfect slow dance song. It's so romantic and just so beautiful. And another cool part about this song is basically how weird the structure is. Because, again, it's it's hard to pick out exactly what the chorus is and what the verses are because, I mean, there is an introduction and there and there is an opening verse, and then it kind of gets the chorus, but then it doesn't. And then when when it, when it what sounds like the chorus to you, the 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 title of the song isn't said in that chorus at all. It's just you know. And then the guy sings the hook afterwards. But then after that section happens, there's an instrumental break, which is so cool because then the saxophone player does some really cool riffs, you know, in this part of the song. And uh, basically, after that, you know, then then there's kind of a bridge where it almost kind of sounds like a second chorus, but it isn't because it's totally different. I mean, it's not, it does, it has some things happen in that part of the song that aren't in anywhere else in the song. So it's hard to label that as the chorus. And then the song just kind of vamps on that F major seven, G minor seven, C sharp diminished chord change. And then it kind of fades out from there. So it's really a weird song structure wise, but it's really, really good. I mean, and I feel like a lot of most really good R&B songs have weird structures, but even though some of them have pretty standard verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, or verse, chorus, verse, chorus structures, but this one is just amazing. And here's another thing about this song, which makes it another good reason as to why this is such a great slow dance song, is because it's not in 4-4. Let me explain that to you for a minute. Um... You know, most songs, you know, a good danceable pop song is always going to be in 4-4. mean, there's always going to be four beats in a measure. And that's how people dance to music. They dance to music to 4-4, which means there's four beats in the measure. You count one, two, three, four. But this song is not in 4-4. In fact, it actually is in waltz time. And waltz time is not 4-4, but 6-8. Now, 6-8 is basically, instead of you know, four beats in a measure, there's six beats in a measure. So instead of counting one, two, three, four, you count one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six. And that's what's going on in this song is that there's six beats in a measure and they, and, and, and there's, you know, and the eighth note gets the beat, but it's just, that's what the song, that's what the time signature of the song is. And it's not in four, four. And because of this, the six, eight in this time signature in the song gives the song a very ballady kind of slow dance waltz feel to it and that's why the song was so popular when it came to slow dances because it has that slow dance waltz six eight feel to it and that's what makes the song so that's why the song works so well you know in that department and that's why it, that's mainly how the song has been used over the years for slow dances but it's just gorgeous it's really, really cool. I mean, there's so many intricate chord changes happening in the song. And you can kind of tell that the guy who wrote the song was very educated in music theory. He really knew his shit when it comes to, you know, that. Because you can tell that he just, he's using all these really complex, intricate chords. And it's just really, really not simple at all. I mean, it's not just like 415 
or one five one five one four. It's not like that at all. It's very complicated, and uh, you can tell that he's definitely been schooled in music theory, chord substitution, chord extensions. I mean, he knew all that. And by the way, you're gonna know who wrote this song. You're gonna know the name of the guy who wrote it because he's someone that's very well known today. And they're probably going to make a movie about him at some point whenever we're out of this pandemic. But trust me, you're going to know the name of the guy who wrote the song. And I won't talk about him until part two of this episode, this two-part episode of this podcast. But definitely, the the songwriter for the song is someone you def- is a name you're definitely going to recognize. Because his music has been kind of popular amongst people in our my generation specifically. But mainly, the 70s and 80s songs are the ones that are really big amongst people my age. But trust me, you're going to know the name of the guy who wrote this you're you're and you be might be in for a shock but trust me you know this is the song wasn't written by some obscure songwriter that only wrote songs and that's it this guy was an artist he was a huge artist you know he was a you know he was a songwriter but didn't really write too much of his 60s songs but he's very iconic and he's somebody that you're definitely going to know and be familiar with the songs, especially if you're someone around my age. But I'm going to save that for part two of this two-part episode of this podcast. But um, for now, let's talk about the song's lyrics. Okay, so here's the thing about this song. And I think this is one of the reasons why I like it personally is because this song is arguably one of the greatest love songs of all time. It is so good because you can tell that the person that wrote it was just bearing his heart and, and his soul onto this girl. You know, he was letting he's letting her know the hurt that his love for her is real. It's not fake. It's not contrived. It's not a load of bullshit. It is totally one hundred percent real. And you know, basically, he says he's like, "Look at I can't live without you. You know, I love you so fucking much. I need you in my life." And this was a common theme for a lot of R&B songs for this time period. It was almost all love songs. And I feel like that's kind of a lost art with a lot of today's R&B music. And I'm going to explain this to you right now. Okay, so, you know, you listen to hip-hop, right? You listen to songs by artists like 2 Chains, or you listen to artists like songs by like Lil Yachty and... Some of these, you know, hip hop guys, like, you know, even some of the older ones like Big Sean and, uh, you know, Usher and even 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 some older ones, too, like songs by Kanye West. I feel like what was missing from their music is songs like this, where they're just good old fashioned, just pure, innocent love songs. And look, I'm not a prude. okay, you know, I'm not one of those people that's anti-explicit content you know i mean i'm not one of those people that you know is against things like sex and drugs and things that are very much part of our life that we can't really ignore necessarily you know i'm i'm you know i'm 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 not necessarily against anything like that i'm i'm not i don't have a prude personality but as far as music is concerned i feel like the the most innocent you know most not, I wouldn't necessarily say childlike, but the most not so explicit love songs, you know, are the ones that are really, really good and probably the best compared to some of the explicit hip hop and rap songs you hear today, you know, because a lot of those songs just have the most trashy lyrics. But again, that's just my opinion. 
And I know I might be alien alienating a lot of my listeners for this podcast. And if you're a hip hop and rap, I like a lot of this music, but you like this stuff too. I'm sorry, but that's just, you know, that's just my opinion. You can, we, you can disagree with me if you want, but I will say that I feel like songs like this are just missing from a lot of, you know, black aren't black music today. Cause a lot of it is just, you know, you know, lyrics, trashy lyrics, and just really, you know, ratchet hip hop songs. And I feel like those are the ones that are really popular today, but songs like this, like baby, I'm for real are just really with the strong melody, really, really good, innocent lyrics that are just timeless. I mean, you know, I feel like some of these, you know, young hip hop guys could use to write a song like this. Cause I feel like, you know, this kind of music should make a comeback. And that's just in my opinion, but Really, I mean, there's nothing like a good old-fashioned love song like this, and man, it's just incredible. You know, and again, I feel like the reason why there were so many love songs during this time is because guys weren't as interested in just casual friends with benefits, you know, like hitting quite it. They weren't really like that. They actually wanted to marry their girl and, you know, be in a long-term relationship with them, you know, and again... I know I'm kind of controversial myself because I've said in the past that guys wanted to, you know, hit and quit it because they were stuck in Vietnam and they didn't know when they were going to come back. But at the same time, I feel like the guys back then were more interested in just settling down and getting into a long term relationship with a girl than just friends with benefits. I'm, you know, and I feel like you it really shows, you know, with, you know, their in, their mentality with that. In a lot of songs like this, you know, and I feel like that's the reason why there were so many love songs back in the 60s, because guys weren't really interested in just hitting quitting. They wanted something long term. You get what I'm, And really, I feel like that's why there were so many love songs back in the 60s, because that's just where guys heads were at at that time, you know, and there might be a comeback with that because. You know, it's kind of risk. It's honestly kind of risky to, you know, just have casual friends with benefits relationships with people these days because of we're stuck in the middle of a pandemic. And you have to worry about getting a virus. You know, I mean, there might be, you know, there might be a, a comeback to just, you know, traditional old school long term relationships. But we'll see. I mean, I'm not really sure about that. But, you know, again, it's just the diff- the time of guys wanting to marry their girls and be with them for the rest of their lives. This was really that time, you know, it's different than to, than what we have, what we've had over the past 10 years. But again, this was definitely that time for that. And it really shows with songs like this. And again, I mean, typically if a guy wrote this kind of song today and sang it for a girl, I mean, the girl might be turned off because depending on where they are in a relationship, you know, the girl might think the guy that's, really desperate and needy and you know might it might push her away but again this was a different time so maybe this would have worked you know even if the the guy just met the girl just met her recently you know so again this is just that time for guys really wanting to invest into being in a relationship with a girl back in the 60s which is pretty different than what we are today but we might see a comeback in that with what's going on right now with the pandemic and everything but yeah i mean this is just a really good example of a classic love song from the 60s. And you can kind of learn from it if you ever wanted to write a song just like this one. 
So that concludes part one of episode number 103 of my 60-music podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. I'm Sam Williams, and if you like my analysis in this week's song, and you thought it was really cool and interesting, you never heard this song before, and you're curious to learn more about the group that recorded the song and the songwriter and the producer of the song, and you're curious to know who's that really big name that wrote and produced this song that you actually might be familiar with or be familiar with this stuff. Uh, if you are, then definitely email me at samltwillieicloud.com. Or you can also reach out to me on Instagram at iheartoldies and check out more of my original music at samwilliamsmusic.net, which is currently under construction right now. And I probably shouldn't be doing any self-promo for this right now because... Um, you know, my website's down right now and I'm currently rebuilding it and that's what I'm doing right now. And I will let you guys know as soon as that website is back up. So that way you can continue to check out more of my original music and some other stuff on there as well. There's a lot, there's going to be a lot of stuff on there. Uh, you know, my music and, you know, uh, the, the right, you know, some good, nice write-ups that I've had in the past about my music and my podcast and some other stuff as well. Uh, that's all going to be on there. I'll let you guys know as soon as that's back up. And also, um, you can check out the official Spotify and YouTube playlist for this podcast. And for those of you who are just now joining me with this podcast, and this is like the first episode you're listening to, and you have no idea what that means. Like, well, basically, um, if you want to listen to the song I've covered this week, uh, you know, I only play like a small snippet of it. So if you want to listen to the whole thing, then you can basically check out the the link I put for the song I put in the description of this episode of this podcast. Or you can check out the official Spotify or YouTube playlist for this podcast. And there you can f- you can listen to the entire song, you know, because I only play a small clip of it on this show. And, uh, you know, basically you can go on there. That's where you can hear the song in its entirety, you know. And hopefully this will give you a good idea for the kind of music I talk about on my show and give you flavor for the kind of stuff I cover on this podcast. If you're just now tuning in and you don't really know what kind of music I talk about on my show then that's definitely a good place to start is to basically check out those playlists, you know, and I have both YouTube and Spotify playlists, you know, for people who don't have Spotify, but have YouTube and or vice versa. And uh, basically, you know, if that does give you some ideas for kind of the kind of songs I should talk about next on my podcast that I haven't yet, uh, you can email me those ideas at samlcwilliamicloud.com. I'll definitely try to get to covering those songs that I haven't talked about my podcast yet. And yeah, and also you can check out the official Redbubble merchandise store for this podcast. And by the way, I kind of want to give you guys an update on what happened with Redbubble recently. And this is actually a pretty good, important update just to let you guys know about the company and what I think of them. Uh, So basically what happened was that I I think I might have mentioned this uh, last couple episodes. Um, Basically, I sent a relative of mine a T-shirt from my store as a birthday gift to him. And what happened was that when he got the shirt, you know, which I thought was going to have my logo on it, uh, Redbubble screwed up and they printed a shirt with the wrong logo on it. And I was very irritated with that. And uh, basically, instead of really not doing anything about it, I decided to email them about it and let them know what happened. I let them know that he got a t-shirt with the wrong logo on it that wasn't mine to begin with. And basically, I explained them what happened and what I wanted you know, as compensation for that. And basically what they did is that they gave me two options. One, they said that I could either get a refund and I could buy another t-shirt from my store, or they would offer me to reprint 
the t-shirt with my logo on it at no additional charge. And I chose option B, which is I basically said, look, I want him to get my shirt with my logo on it. And that's what they did. They I gave him the, the address, the original address that the shirt was shipped to. And they even gave me a little tracking number so that way I can see when the shirt would arrive at his original address, which, you know, which I had, you know, I originally, you know, used, you know, to ship the shirt that didn't have my logo on it. But now, you know, they basically gave me a new tracking number so that way I can see when that shirt would get to him. And they did this for free without charging me. And that's really, really cool. So and basically what I'm trying to say is that, uh, you know, I'm definitely pleased with their customer service and I'm very happy with them about about that. And I was a little irritated because they weren't getting back to me right away. Well, I will say that right now, a lot of companies are probably pretty slammed right now with people hitting them up for customer service requests because we're in the middle of a pandemic and mistakes can happen. So I'm willing to forgive them when it comes to that. But yeah, so I'm definitely pleased with Redbubble's customer service and they and they are, you know, really, really good with that. So I don't have any issues with that. I can recommend them, you know, for anybody who's trying to buy any merchandise from them. And basically, um, you know, that and that leads me to saying that I do have my own Red Bull merch store for this podcast tonight, which has my own very own custom logo for this podcast, which is basically the catchphrase I say at the end of every episode and keep on chucking tie-dye font with the name of my podcast in the bottom. And it's all in the the keep on trucking tie-dye 60s font. And you can go on there and you can I have a bunch of items in there, not just t-shirts, a bunch of other really cool items. And basically you can go on there and you can buy something if you want to. And if you do, I'd really appreciate it if you can let me know when you do buy something from the store. And you can do that by emailing me at samltwelladcloud.com or you can hit me up on Instagram, you know, just a couple of sentences on, hey, I got something from the store and this is why I like your podcast, the favorite episode and song you've covered so far. Or you, you can also, you know, check out the prices of each item in the store and you can let me know what your thoughts are on that, plus the logo itself. I would appreciate it if you can do either or, you know, any support I can get during this time is definitely appreciated. But anyways, um, I'm Sam Williams and thank you for joining me for this week's episode of my podcast, The Millennial Throwback Machine. Until next week, please keep things groovy.